Hi, this is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church in Richmond, Texas. Thank you for streaming or downloading this podcast today. I hope this resource blesses you. If you haven't joined us at a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we want you to come. You can find all that information and more at rin-church.org. I pray that you are encouraged today by the proclamation of God's word. This morning we're starting um, a new series called Giants Will Fall, and I'm, uh, I've been excited about this. Back in January, I was praying, asking the Lord, uh, like, what, what is it this year? Is there anything that you want to speak to me or to us this year? And um, as I was driving and praying over uh, 2019, I just had this echoing in my heart of giants will fall. Giants will fall. And so um, just began to pray about, Lord, what, what would that mean for us? What does that mean for us as Renaissance? What does that mean for me personally? And um, I really wanted to take some time to focus on the big things that we face in life. And, and what does the scripture teach us about facing that kind of stuff? And so I'm excited to uh, dive into this together. Um, back in 2005, there was a movie called Cinderella Man. I don't know if you guys ever watched that movie. It was kind of like Rocky, right? You're, you're cheering for this guy. His name was James J. Braddock. And he was a prize fighter. This is how he earned his living. And yet uh, in a fight, he, he breaks his right hand. And it's the middle of the depression in the, in the States. No one can find work. And so he can't box anymore to earn a living. And so he goes down to the docks like all the, the working uh, able-bodied men of his, of his community in New Jersey. And he goes down to the docks and he's trying to find work. He's scraping it together. His family doesn't have heat in their home. I mean, they might have just like a crust of bread left over. He's got kids and a wife and he's torn about how do I provide for my family? Well, his manager, Joe Gould, calls him up one day and says, hey, one of our fighters had to back out of this fight. Something's happened. I need someone to fill in. I want you to come in and, 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 and fight for me. And so he's like, okay, well, I'll step in. He's so desperate for money. He doesn't care if he wins or loses. He's just, I need to make money. And so in the uh, third round of this fight, he, uh, he knocks out the number two contender, Corn Griffin. And you know, the media is going crazy, like, oh my gosh, he's back. James J. Braddock has, has had this major upset. He, he's, you know, he, he gets more fights and he's battling, right? You see him fighting all these guys and he's winning and winning. And finally, he's, he's up against the number one champion of the world, Max Bayer. And Max Bayer was a bad dude. I mean, this guy had killed two guys in the ring. Like, he was a serious, big, hulking dude, okay? And in the media, you know how they, they are before boxing matches, right? They're, they're talking smack. And Max Bayer says, I don't know if he's going to survive this fight. Like, you know, he's, he's really talking it up. Of course, um, uh, James J. Braddock's wife, is, she's freaking out. She hates the fact that he's fighting for a living. And yet in the middle of all that, he became a symbol to the American people of someone 
coming out of the, the dark pit of the depression, climbing out of the, of the mess of life, right? And so the, the day comes, it was June 13th, 1935, and this is the fight with Max Bayer, and to everyone's surprise, it was like the, the, one of the biggest upsets in boxing history, James J. Braddock beats Max Bayer, becomes the champion of the world, and you're watching the movie, and you're crying, and you're just like, yeah, right? You have that adrenaline rush of seeing this guy, the underdog, finally make it. It's the classic underdog story, and we could talk about movie after movie after movie that tells the same story, the underdog story. Well, this morning, we're going to start with the classic underdog story of David and Goliath. I'm excited to look at this together. So we're going to look at 1 Samuel 17. If you have a copy of the scriptures and want to read with me, this is a bit longer portion, okay? There's a lot of detail in this story. We're not going to read all the details, but we're going to get to the main parts of this together. It starts in verse Three, just a little bit of background. You know, Israel has, uh, at this point, they've, they've taken the land. Saul has been anointed the king. And then Saul disobeys the Lord in a battle. And it says that the spirit of the Lord left him. And at this point, uh, a prophet named Samuel, the one that this book is named after, goes into the home of a man named Jesse. And he says, Jesse, the Lord told me that the next king of Israel is, is your son, but Jesse has a lot of sons, okay? And so he finally gets to David. David had been out tending the sheep. He's the youngest of the family, the runt, the baby of the family, right? Cute little David out tending the sheep comes in and he has anointed the next king as a boy, Okay, so that's kind of where we are in the story. There's the Philistines have, they've set up a, um, they, they've gotten into battle formation on one hill. The Israelites are on another hill and there's a big valley in between. And this is the big face off, okay? Starting here in verse three, it says, the Philistines were standing on one hill. The Israelites were standing on another hill with a ravine between them. Then a champion named Goliath from Gath came out from the Philistine camp. He was nine feet, nine inches tall and wore a bronze helmet and bronze scale armor that weighed 125 pounds. There was bronze armor on his shins and a bronze javelin was slung between his shoulders. His spear shaft was like a weaver's beam and the iron point of his spear weighed 15 pounds. In addition, a shield bearer was walking in front of him. He stood and shouted to the Israelite battle formations, why do you come out to line up in battle formation? He asked them, am I not a Philistine and are you not servants of Saul? Choose one of your men and have them come down against me. If he wins in a fight against me and kills me, we will be your servants. But if I win against him and kill him, then you will be our servants and serve us. Then the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel today. Send me a man so we can fight each other. When Saul and all Israel heard these words from the Philistine, they lost their courage and were terrified. Now that's a key verse right there. When we begin to talk about the giants in our lives, I'm talking about the things that defy you, that defy the work of God in you, the things that make you lose your courage. 
the things that terrify you. Skipping down to verse 16, every morning and evening for 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand. One day, Jesse had told his son David, take this half bushel of roasted grain along with these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp and take these 10 portions of cheese to the field commander. Check on the well-being of your brothers and bring a confirmation from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. So David got up early in the morning, left the flock with someone to keep it loaded up and set out as Jesse had charged him. He arrived at the perimeter of the camp as the army was marching out to its battle formation, shouting their battle cry. Now just picture that Israel is pumped up, right? It's the morning. They're like, all right, guys, time to get, time, time to get out there. They're, they're shouting the battle cry, right? And then Goliath's going to come out and they're going to be like, oh, okay. They're going to start shrinking back again. Verse 22, David left his supplies in the care of the quartermaster and ran to the battle line. When he arrived, he asked his brothers how they were. While he was speaking with them, suddenly the champion named Goliath, the Philistine from Gath, came forward from the Philistine battle line and shouted his usual words, which David heard when all the Israelite men saw Goliath. They retreated from him terrified. Wow. Skipping on down to verse 31. David, just so you know what's happening between here, he's hearing about what he's saying and he's hearing about the reward that the king is offering and he's like, how dare this guy um, come and defy the army of the living God? Well, verse 31, what David said was overheard and reported to Saul, so he had David brought to him. David said to Saul, don't let anyone be discouraged by him. Your servant will go and fight the Philistine. Now, picture a young boy coming into your, you're the king, and there's this massive, I mean, 10 foot tall guy who is shouting it down. And he's saying, the young boy is saying, don't be discouraged. I'm here. I will fight him, right? You're probably thinking, I, I, I don't know about this. So Saul replied, you can't go fight this Philistine. You're just a youth. And he's been a warrior since he was young. David answered Saul, your servant has been tending his father's sheep. Oh, well, that's helpful. Yeah, you're a sheep herder. Great. Whenever a lion or a bear came and carried off a lamb from the flock, I went after it, struck it down, and rescued the lamb from its mouth. If it reared up against me, I would grab it by its fur, strike it down, and kill it. Your servant has killed lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Then David said, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. I mean, you just got to love his courage, right? He's small yet full of of courage. Saul said to David, all right, go and may the Lord be with you. Then Saul had his own military clothes put on David. He put a bronze helmet on David's head and had him put in the armor. David strapped his sword on over the military clothes and tried to walk, but he was not used to them. I can't walk in these, David said to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off. Instead, he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the wadi and put them in the pouch in his shepherd's bag. Then, with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Verse 41. 
the Philistine came closer and closer to David with the shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he despised him because he was just a youth, healthy and handsome. He said to David, am I a dog that you come against me with sticks? Then he cursed David by his gods. Come here, the Philistine called to David, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the wild beast. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with a sword, spear, and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the ranks of Israel. You have defied him. Today the Lord will hand you over to me. Today I'll strike you down, remove your head, and give the corpses of the Philistine camp to the birds of the sky and the wild creatures of the earth, then all the world will know that Israel has a God, and this whole assembly will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. He will hand you over to us. Now, just, just, I mean, this is like the two boxers, they're in the media, and they are talking smack, right? David's saying, no, 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 I'm going to take you out, bro, in, in the name of the Lord. You're going to see this thing happen. Verse 48, when the Philistines started forward to attack him, David ran quickly to the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in the bag, took out a stone, slung it, and hit the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down to the ground. David defeated the Philistine with a sling and a stone. David overpowered the Philistine and killed him without having a sword. David ran and stood over him. He grabbed the Philistine's sword, pulled it from its sheath, and used it to kill him. Then he cut off his head. When, when the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they fled. The men of Israel and Judah rallied, shouting their battle cry, and chased the Philistines to the entrance of the valley of the gates of Ekron. Philistine bodies were strewn all along the Sharaim road to Gath and Ekron. Do you feel the adrenaline of the moment, right? It's just this amazing victory. David is the classic underdog. He's too young. He's too small, but he's full of courage. He's so fantastic in this story. He's the errand boy for his dad. Hey, go check on my brothers, right? Go check on them. Just bring word back. Here's some food. Like go, go uh, you know, I, I want to make sure that they're taken care of by the army. So here's some food for the commanders, right? And just bring back some word for me. And David, of course, hears this, this giant shouting his defiant cry, and he is filled with courage. And we love this. Right? We love this story. Preachers love this story. See, we, we preachers, we start getting creative. We're like, five stones. Oh, I know. There's five, there's five words that we could pull out here. And they all start with the letter P, right? Because that's what preachers do. It all has to start with the same letter. Jordan's laughing. He's a preacher's son, so he knows how this goes. So we'd say, oh, you got to have the passion of David, right? David was... He was passionate about the, the name of the Lord, and this guy's defying the Lord's army, and he has passion. And you gotta have the praise of David. You see, David was a worshiper, and when he would play the lyre, the, the evil spirit would leave Saul, and you've gotta have a heart of worship to praise. And we'd say, you know, 
you've got to remember the previous victories. David knew that God had, had, had used him to defeat the lion and the bear. So remember your previous victories that God's given you. And, and don't forget the promise of God. David knew God's promise. He'd been anointed the king, right? He held on to God's promise. And we need one more P. So let's think of one more P. You need the power of the Holy Spirit, right? And we could, we could do the altar call and everyone's like, yeah, I need the five P's. I, I need the five P's in my life. And, and we could do laps. Someone's getting excited. They're getting filled with the Holy Spirit. They're doing laps around the sanctuary and it's going bananas here because we all love the story of the underdog, David, who overcomes the giant. Here's the tension. What if you're not David? What if you're not David? I read a, a quote this week. It says, there are, in the end, only two questions to ask as we read the Bible. Is it about me or is it about Jesus? In other words, is the Bible basically about what I must do or about what he has done? There was a moment after the resurrection which we celebrated last week, Jesus appears to two disciples. They're walking on a seven mile road back to Emmaus and, and they're, they're arguing with each other because they had heard about Jesus being resurrected. The, the two women had come back from the tomb and said, hey, he's risen. And they're like, no way, there's no way he's risen. Right there, they don't believe it. And they're, they're, they're still broken about Jesus being crucified. And it says they're arguing with each other. And Jesus, he appears to them and he has this way of like not letting people know who he is. I don't know how he does that. Like he's like the, the magic, like mind control or whatever that Jesus has, but he's not letting himself be recognized by these guys. And it says he rebukes them. He's like, come on guys. And it says that he takes the old Testament right here, the, the word that they had, and he begins to walk through story by story in uh, Luke 24, 27, it says, then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And so in my imagination, I'm, I'm picturing Jesus coming to these two guys that are, are just, they're, they're, they're they're fighting about what really happened. He rebukes them and he walks them through the Old Testament. And I think he comes to this story, David and Goliath, and he says, this is about me. See, we always read this story like we're David, don't we? We're like, yeah, I'm gonna be the giant. I'm gonna get my five Ps, I'm gonna put them in my slingshot, and I'm gonna find that giant, and I'm gonna take it out, and it's gonna be awesome. I am James J. Braddock. Yeah, right? But the reality is, is David is a picture of Jesus. He's a picture of Jesus. What if you're not David? See, the point of this story for us is that Jesus is the true hero. He's our true hero. Here's what I mean. Jesus went out into the valley of the shadow of death 
for you. Think about the story. Israel is in this standoff. There's a battle, right? And, and the Philistine uh, a giant comes out and shouts his defiant cry. And what he's saying is you send one person, not all of you. I want one person. What Israel needs is they need a substitute. They need somebody who will fight the battle for them. Someone who will walk into that valley and face off with that giant. And Jesus, we know from the New Testament, Jesus was our substitute. That when he went to the cross, he, the one man taking on all the things of all of us, he steps into the valley of the shadow of death and he bears our sin, our substitute, our champion. Think about this, that, that God doesn't provide some massive dude. I mean, Saul, we, we learned earlier in, in the scriptures that Saul was a whole head and shoulders above all the other Israelites. Saul was a, he was an impressive guy. And Saul would have been the most likely person to get out there into the valley. Saul is in his tent, freaking out. He's shaking in his boots. And God doesn't choose the impressive one. He finds a young shepherd boy who can't even fit into armor. He finds that one and he gives him a shepherd's staff, <laughs> not a sword, a staff and a slingshot. Think about Jesus, born in a stable. There was no room for him, born in a stable, lives in obscurity for 30 years. We don't even hear about him after his early childhood until he begins to enter into ministry. And then Jesus, how does he overcome sin and death and darkness? He does it by humbling himself, even to the point of death. He... He's killed. He, he's the true and better David. He's better than David. David risked his life for the army. Jesus gave his life. He overcame through weakness, through humbling, through bearing the sin on a cross. Jesus faced the giant for you. He's the true hero of the story. And here's the thing. Jesus makes giants fall. Amen? Jesus makes the giants fall. And here's why that's really good news for you. Because some of you have lived your whole life thinking, I'm missing a P. I had praise, I'm pretty good at worship, but I'm terrible at passion, I have no passion. And if I just had more passion, then maybe I could finally overcome the giant in my life. If I could just do that one more thing, if I, if I, could, just, if I could just get it right, if I could finally figure this thing out and I would get those five Ps in my slingshot, then I would be ready, to, the giants would come falling down in my life, but that's not me. I'm not perfect and I can't do it. And we've lived our whole lives thinking, if I just had one more thing, then I'd have the victory. 
and the hero of the story is still you. You're still David. Jesus is the true and better David. I, uh, I made the mistake of watching a movie called A Dog's Purpose. Has anyone ever seen the movie A Dog's Purpose before? A few of you have seen it. Do, do, do any of you have a family pet or a family dog? Do you, you guys have, some of you are cold-hearted people. You have no pets. You don't watch dog movies. Oh, we're gonna pray for you. So this movie is terrible. It's awesome and it's terrible because the dog dies three times and my whole family is sitting on the couch and we're all like trying not to act like we're like crying, but we're all crying and we're like, you know, like get the lump in your throat and you're like, you're just trying to, you're trying to be cool. Like, you know, as a dad, you're trying to be cool. My kids are sobbing next to me on the couch, right? I'm like, what are we doing to them? Like they, they need counseling after this. I, I'm just going to try to give you a little bit of the plot line of a dog's purpose. All right. So there's this young boy named Ethan. Ethan gets the puppy and the dad's like, okay, you can keep the puppy, right? So he has a dog named Buddy. And so you see the little boy and his dog, right? Every boy needs a dog. Parents, every boy needs a dog. If your boy, no, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to put that on you. So this little boy has a dog and he's, um, his dad becomes increasingly absentee. He's an alcoholic. And you see the boy kind of bond with the animal when his family's kind of crumbling apart, right? You see that. And then he grows up with the dog. He's, he's at the county fair and the dog goes up and, and sniffs this girl, the girl that he's kind of has his eye on, right? And the girl turns around and is like, what's going on? And, and then they connect and then they start dating and then it's like the love of his life, this girl named Hannah, so the dog kind of like hooks him up with this amazing girl, and this, this boy, Ethan, is now the, the football star, and he's the, the, the one that everyone's, you know, talking about in town, and he gets an, a scholarship to Michigan State. However, there was a jealous classmate who, who just in a prank tried to throw a firework into their house and it, it, the prank went wrong. The, the, the house catches on fire and, and Ethan is forced to jump out of the second story window, shatters his leg, loses his scholarship and just begins this dark spiral in his life. He breaks it off with the love of his life, Hannah, and it looked like Ethan was gonna be the hero. Like it really looks like that in the story. And then all of a sudden, something happens that's just too much for him. The dog dies the first time. We're all crying. The dog died, right? And yet the dog reincarnates back into this other dog. It's like some kind of a, a corgi or something like that. I, I don't know. Or no, it's a German shepherd first. And then the dog takes a bullet for a policeman, right? And then it dies. And we're crying again. And then the dog comes back again as a corgi. And we're like, oh, wow, it's awesome. And, and it becomes this friend to this young girl who's struggling in life. And then the dog dies again. We're crying again. And it finally comes back as Bailey, a St. Bernard. But Bailey is now neglected and abandoned and finally runs away and somehow magically finds Hannah. Smells the, the smell. It's like, I know that smell. And it turns out to be Hannah. And then it smells another smell. And it's the field where he used to play with Ethan when he was 
three lives ago when he used to be buddy and he goes and he finds Ethan, right? And somehow brings Ethan and Hannah back together. Hannah had been widowed, right? Her, her, her husband had died and Ethan had lived this lonely life and he brings redemption and restoration and the movie ends with a wedding, right? You're, you're so happy, even though you just watch a dog die three times, they're back together and redemption and restoration. And it's just terrible, okay? But I was thinking about the, the story, you know, it looked like Ethan was the hero. And then it turns out there were some things in life that were just too big for him. And the surprising hero of the story is the dog, right? Buddy, who eventually came as Bailey, who ultimately brought redemption and restoration to Ethan and Hannah. Um, when I first moved to Richmond, Casey and I lived in a neighborhood called um, Lakes of Belaterre. I almost lost it, but it came back to me. Lakes of Belaterre. I had a, a neighbor across the street from India, really nice guy, just incredible hospitality. Uh, always wanted me to come over, come inside, hear some food, hear some drink. I mean, just really, really wonderful person. And we would talk, and, and he had come from a Hindu background. His wife was a Sikh, and I was telling him about, you know, what I believe, I was sharing the gospel with him. And then I asked him, what do you believe? He said, you know, I think 70% of the stuff that I was taught as a, as a child is total beep. He put a word in there, and uh, I won't say the word, but basically he did not believe it. And he said, you know what I really believe in? I believe in humanity. I think that's a common belief for us. There's, there's still something in us that wants to believe that we're James J. Braddock, that the humanity may look terrible at times, right? That we're going to come back and we're going to be the David. But the problem is that we're really more like Ethan. We're the ones who might have moments where we feel like the hero and then there's just stuff that's too big for us. Like, we, we just don't know how to handle it. It's too much. We're really Ethan. And we need a hero, a true hero. See, when you read the story, you're not David, you're, you're actually Israel. You're Israel up on the mountain, trying to work up the courage, and then the, the giant comes out and you tremble in fear and you retreat. And we need somebody who came back to life, who has a way of bringing redemption and restoration, reuniting us with our true love, our heavenly father, somebody who is the true hero. I want to end with a question this morning. Who's the hero of your story? Because when we talk about the giants of life, we're going to spend the next five weeks, we're going to look at the giants of fear we're going to look at the giants of addiction. We're going to look at temptation. We're going to look at adversity, things that come that are just like life circumstances that are just crazy and, and too much for us. 
We're going to look at broken relationships. And I think these are five huge giants. But if you enter into this series thinking that you're the one who's going to make the giant fall, I have news for you. That's never, ever going to happen. Who's the hero of your story? And I want you to decide that for yourself this morning. That Jesus is the hero of my story. That if I'm really, really honest with myself, that's the reality of my life. I want to pray for us this morning. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To contact us or find out more information, visit rin-church.org.